0: Steve, I, I don't know of a. You know, no, I, I find great delight in praying for uh, our mission endeavors, uh, but uh, I don't know of a time I prayed more for the safety of one of our missionaries than uh, when I heard you were using power tools. And so, <laughs> praise God. You know, we're able to put roofs on uh, pastors' houses because, as Steve said, because you, you support this work. And I just want to take this opportunity, I know I do this often, but I think it's so important for us, to under, for you to understand that, that when you give to this church, we don't. if we, we get over our budget like we have for the past two years, we don't save our money. We don't put it in a checking account, we don't hide it away in a CD for a rainy day. We set it aside for missions. We set it aside so we can put roofs on a pastor's house that's leaking. And I'm just so thankful to be part of a church that has that kind of commitment and is willing to walk by faith and trust the Lord to provide for our needs as we seek to meet the needs of others. Uh, We go to Eagle Butte quite often. and I just want to let you know there's opportunities year-round almost, three, four trips a year up to South Dakota to support uh, a multifaceted work that is so desperate in need of the gospel. And we go to places like Ghana. It's so great to have Mark back here after his week in Ghana. I don't know if many of you weren't at our annual members meeting, but we are going to as a church because, once again, of your giving... We are going to plant a church in interior Ghana in a Muslim village. Our brother Paul Din and his wife Anna are going to go and take the gospel there simply because Hamilton Baptist Church wants to spread the fame of King Jesus, spread his kingdom to the uttermost parts of this world. And may that always be part of our heart as a church. Of course, our heart is also hearing from God, and I delight to be with you this morning as we listen to God's word proclaimed and applied to our lives from Luke chapter 7. So, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. You'll find that on page 864 in the Pew Bible in front of you. While you're turning there, I do want to um, let you know of an opportunity that's coming up for the men in the church. Looking forward to, in about a month from now, um, having the opportunity to lead in a men's retreat, a Friday evening and Saturday morning retreat in which we are going to consider what does biblical masculinity look like? In light of the great deal of confusion in our culture, in the Western world, as to what gender looks like, what does the Bible have to say about being a man Is encompasses? So we're going to actually spend our time discussing Psalm 23, which I believe is a Christological psalm. I believe it's a psalm about Jesus. And I think there's no other man to model yourself after than Christ, of course. And so what does it mean to lead? And... What does it mean to protect? What does it mean to provide? And I'm very much looking forward to that opportunity to think about myself and just take inventory of my life. I invite you men to, uh, if you're able, to participate in this opportunity as we get together and form uh, bonds between the men in this church as we seek after Christ and Christ's likeness. I'll be in about a month. If you want more information, you can see Jan Nelson or myself. You can sign up at the welcome desk. I would encourage you to do so. So Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 29, hear now the word of God. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet... Wisdom is justified by all her children. Our Father, we're so thankful now for an opportunity as we gather together, claimed by Christ, to hear from Christ. We once again affirm our gratitude to you for giving us your word by which you have revealed yourself to us, that we may know our Lord, that we might draw near to him, that we might hear from him, that we might be molded into his likeness, more and more Lord Jesus when you were on this earth you promised that before you left you would send another a helper the Holy Spirit your word tells us that the Holy Spirit illumines our hearts convicts us of sin encourages us into righteousness may he do so even now as we consider your word may you do a a great work in our lives. Even as our brother Tom read from the prophet Jeremiah, I will write my law upon their heart. Will you not do that even now? As your people come to you with open hearts, saying write your imprint upon our hearts, change our hearts, circumcise our hearts, that we may more faithfully follow Jesus in fullness of joy and radical obedience, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as the father of, of seven children, uh, our family is into, into kids. Right? We like spending time with children. We like like uh, playing with children. We've recognized that there's something wonderful and, and beautiful about children. They, they have an ability to bring wonder to the most mundane uh, we're getting ready. I'm taking uh, my four oldest kids next week on a uh, four day backpacking trip in the Green Mountains of Southern Vermont. We're going to do about 25 miles and we were getting our gear ready and, and going through all the gear. And, and this is usually a chore to me. I don't enjoy it at all. But for the kids, it was just great delight to look at all their flashlights and their sleeping pads and their, their, their uh, sleeping bags and on and on and just great fun. And just, they have this ability to whatever they find to find joy in it, so quick to dance and to laugh and to be silly. In fact, we're we're working on on bringing our beehives up to the mountain on which we live, and and there's a, a bear that comes through our our property. My kids call him Messy um, because he makes quite a mess when he comes through. And so we're 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 getting ready to to build an electrified fence for our beehives, and and so I'm having to dig these holes. And I've dug a number of holes before, and and we're it's not a lot of fun. In fact, I can't stand doing it. And it would, you dig these holes about 30 inches, sometimes three feet deep? But the amazing thing is why. I'm I'm, you know, not enjoying myself at all. I have seven children surrounding daddy, and and just total wonder at the depth of this hole. And they're throwing things down in the hole, and they're measuring the hole. They're putting their limbs in the. They're trying to shove their sister down in the hole, right? (laughs) And it's just this great delight. We want to celebrate that, don't we? Uh, We call that, uh, I think, childlikeness, and it's something that's wonderful. But, of course, children aren't perfect, are they? In fact, the Bible in Proverbs 22 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. There's foolishness in their hearts. There's sinfulness bound up there. And so what we try to do as parents, I think what God has called us to do, is to create an environment where child-likeness flourishes. The awe, the wonder, the, the the silliness, the laughter. And yet, at the same time, create an environment where childishness is disciplined out of them, is corrected, foolishness is addressed. And so, we want to do this in our home. This is what we Allegra and I talk about. This frequently. How can we create that home? We were at the fair um, a couple of weeks ago, and and we were having a great. I mean, it's just so much fun. And there's laughter, and there's there's fun, and there's rides, and we're eating everything we could find that's deep fried, and it's just a great great deal of delight. But there, you know, times come when Daddy goes on a ride with a big kid, and the little kid can't go on the ride, and the little kid probably because he doesn't understand much, but gets upset and and and, and maybe throws a little fit. And that, that requires correction, doesn't it? That's folly, the Bible says. That's foolishness. The, that with chi- children need to be, we as a family for, and, and, we as a family eat everything the same. And I know every family does differently, but we do this on, on purpose. We just want our family to understand that, that the family doesn't exist for you, but you exist to be part of this family and we're not going to cater to your particular uh, desires and this way you honor your mother who's provided for you. This is how you actually obey the fifth commandment by eating what mommy gives you. And we want that to them to understand that. We want to, to teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them so that they learn that when they're four or five and they're not dealing with that when they're 15 or 35 or 74 still thinking the world's about me right so we want to preserve the awe and correct the folly and i think jesus teaches us this Remember Jesus, you know, he's, he's ministering throughout, uh, especially, uh, in his early days, and, and, and these, these people keep bringing their children to Jesus, and, and, and children seem to recognize this in Jesus, that he's safe, and he's loving, and, and they're, he has a wonderful place to be, and they, they come to Jesus, and the apostles are somewhat annoyed by this, and say, why don't you get your kids out of here? You he don't have time for your kids. And Jesus looks at him and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Bring them. Let them come. In fact, he he puts one on his lap and he takes this opportunity and he says, listen, gentlemen, you need to understand something. Unless you're like this child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you become like a child, you can never be my follower, my disciple. And I think what he means by that is unless your relationship to God is like a, re- a child's relationship to his, his mommy or his daddy, dependence, vulnerability, trust, you, you can't be mine. We need to depend on God like a child depends upon his daddy. And so he praises childlike behavior. He recognizes the beauty in it. But he also rebukes childish behavior. And I think we see that in this text before us today. It seems that that Christ is rebuking this idea that the world revolves around me. We're kind of jumping back in the middle of a passage here. I don't know, I wasn't here last Sunday. I appreciate Pastor Glenn coming and challenging us to seek awakening and revival. But if you remember last time we were in Luke's Gospel, we saw that John was in prison. And John is beginning to have some doubts about who Jesus is because his expectations aren't being met and there's disappointments and difficulties in his life. And he sends these uh, his disciples to Jesus and they say, are you the one or should we expect another? And I, I love that question. I love the fact that the Bible answers asks that question because I think that's incredibly uh, uh, germane to the day in which we live. You, you, if Jesus were here today, I think countless people would have come up to Jesus and say, How do we know for sure you are who you say you are? And by the way, you've said a lot of things that offend my sensibilities. You've told me this is a sin and this is a sin, and you keep saying that you're the only way and that no one can come to the Father but by you, and you've come to give forgiveness, and that's the only place we find it. And to be quite frank, I find that offensive. I think people would come and, and say, How do we know? That's what John is doing. How do we know? And Jesus says, let me show you how you know. And he begins to this very public display of power, this might, as he heals the blind and cures the lame and casts leprosy out of the unclean and even raises the dead. And in doing so, he not only shows his power, not only shows his compassion, but he is fulfilling ancient prophecy about what the Messiah would do. And he says, you go tell John, and by the way, tell everybody else what you have seen and heard, what I have done. He answers that question. And yet there are still people, despite the evidence before them, that still refuse to believe, still remain persistent in their doubt, who will not hear the evidence. And it's these people that Jesus addresses in the passage we have before us today. Now, I just want to be frank with you. This, I found this passage very difficult to understand. This is a hard passage for me and, and, um, you know, I, I I consider sermon writing in some sense wrestling with the text and trying to get a handle on the text and understand what it means in order before I even try to think, well, how can I preach it? But this text kept throwing me on my back. I mean, it was very difficult. In fact, I, I had written almost a complete sermon, and I just crumpled it up, and I threw it away. I said, this is no good. And so I went back and wrote another one, and unfortunately it was worse. Um, and, and so I tried a third time, and it, it keeps going downhill. So... Um, um, we'll just see it's not the words fault. It's my fault um, But the good news is every time I've rewritten this sermon it gets shorter So at least we have that to <laughs> to look forward to so praise the Lord It's a, it's a hard passage. I just want to I want to be clear there and perhaps you have some good insight into it that you could help me But Jesus here finishes this conversation with those who persist in their doubt Some call this the over the years the parable of the brats That you see in verse 32 it's interesting to consider as Jesus deals with those who will not come in faith to him. Now, before we look in the text, I want to say one last thing. Is that when Jesus deal, is dealing, and I think rather harshly, with those who persist in their doubt, he is not dealing with those who have honest doubt. John has honest doubt. You may have honest doubt. And whenever someone has honest doubt and comes to Jesus, Jesus is tender and, and kind and patient with them to try to move them past that. And and may God help us that Hamilton Baptist Church will never be a faith community that says, well, you just have to believe. Stop asking these questions. Just believe. I don't think God ever calls us to do that. I think God gives us reasons to believe, evidence to believe, a reasoned faith. And so when Jesus deals with those persisting in their doubt, he's not dealing with those with honest doubt. He's dealing with those who have an unreasonable doubt. Their, Their doubt continues not because of a lack of evidence but because of sin. And Jesus wants to expose it. He begins by saying that persistent doubters are unrepentant. These unreasonable doubters are unrepentant. Note verse 29. When all the people heard this, now, again, we're jumping right in the middle. When they heard this, that is Jesus praised John. Remember that from last week? He answered John's question, and then he said, you know, let's talk about John for a little bit. What did you go out and see in the wilderness, right? You didn't go out and see a pushover, or you didn't go out and see a a guy in a sweater vest, or you you went out and and saw a prophet, right? And, in fact, not just a prophet, but but the prophet, the prophesied prophet. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, among those born of woman, no one is greater than John so you went out and saw this prophet had this incredible uh, responsibility and so they all heard this luke tells us in verse 29 and now luke is going to divide those who had heard this into two groups the first group is found in verse 29 as we read on and the tax collectors too they declared god just having been baptized with the baptism of john and so group one declares God to be just. They declare, that is, they, they say God is right. They're not justifying God. They're just agreeing with God. God is right. God is right in his ministry through John. God is right in doing what he's doing and calling us to repent. And this group, you notice, are tax collectors, which is kind of shorthand biblical for sinners. And so they declared God to be right. And how do we know they did so? Well, you see that at the end there, verse 29. Having been baptized with the baptism of John. And so it's clear that who they are because they received his baptism. The second group is found in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. And so there's there's another group that rejects God's purposes. These are the Pharisees, the religious scribes. And how do we know they rejected God's purpose? Well, He tells us in the end of verse 30, they were not baptized by John. So everything hinged on this group, on whether you received John's baptism. Which raises the question, what is it about baptism if you had received it? You said, yes, I agree with God. And if you did not receive it, you reject God. You say, God is wrong. What's going on in that baptism? Well, keep your finger here in Luke 7, but turn back to Luke 3. is where we see John's ministry flourish. And in verse 3 of chapter 3, we see, we gain an understanding of what John is doing in baptizing people. The Bible says he went into... All the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of what is it? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So he's baptizing people who recognize they need to repent from their sin. Now look in verse 7. He said, Therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warn you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sins. So one day, right, this hermit emerges from the woods, from the wilderness. You barefoot, camel hair onesie. He's got, you know, bugs in his beard. He's shaken because of all the honey. And he's called out. He's going to begin to say, well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you're here. He starts, you brood of vipers, right? You children of the devil, repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. This is John's message. And John is, of course, preparing people for the coming king. You need to get your life ready. The Messiah is coming. You need to turn from your sin. You need to seek forgiveness. And there were two responses to that message. Two dramatically opposite responses. The Puritans used to say the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And that's what's happening in John's audience. Some believed. Some agreed with John. They said, I am in sin. I, I am rebelling against my maker. I, I need to turn. I need to repent. I need the Lord. And they publicly repented by being baptized. And there are others who were not baptized because they saw no need to repent. They didn't believe. They were unwilling to believe. They persisted in their unbelief precisely because John's message is offensive. John's message demands repentance. And there are people in Jesus' day, he confronts them over and over and over again, and there are people in our day who will not embrace Christianity because at the core of Christianity, there is a declaration about ourselves. And it is that we are evil. We are sinful. We have rebelled, every one of us, against the Maker. And we need to turn from that life. They won't believe because they do not want to repent they, they want a message that says they want a religion that says i'm okay that everything's good maybe i need a little advice on how to live life but other than that i'm doing well they 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 want a religion that says i'm good just the way they are and therefore they would not be baptized in this baptism of repentance it's too humbling to be baptized isn't it and that's kind of the point i think of baptism even today it is humbling It is a declaration that I'm a sinner and I need to turn from that. And they were unwilling to do so. This is, we see those who persist in their unbelief will not repent. I wonder, my friends here today, have you repented? Have you turned your life from self-rule over to God? Have you changed your direction? I mentioned in a, next week I'm going to take the kids backpacking and we don't we don't take GPSs with us. We we just we old school. We compass and map, and uh, we like to learn orienteering. We like to be able to take bearings and triangulate our position on the map as we look for landmarks around it. It's one of the skills that we'll learn. I think repentance is kind of like this idea where I'm headed south, and you realize it, and you just you turn 180 and you begin to head north. You begin to follow after Jesus. You turn your life over to Him. Jesus calls for everyone to repent saved we all have to turn from the gospel and the bible says they were cut to the heart when he preached they said what must we do to be saved you know what he said repent and be baptized in the name of jesus christ everyone and you will be saved we all have to turn from self-rule we all have to turn from our sin and trust christ have you repented or perhaps a better question for this congregation is are you repenting because do not think that repentance is something you did long ago and now you're, you're okay. In fact, Luther was right, I believe, when he said all of the Christian life is one of repentance. You know, if we're headed north, sin keeps pull, pulling us off, doesn't it? We have to constantly reorient ourselves towards Christ and Christ-likeness. Are you repenting? What do you have to repent from? What actions? What inactions must you repent of? What thoughts? Certainly God would reveal that to you even now. Some of you, maybe even this very moment, you know exactly what you need to surrender to the Lord. May God give you the strength to do it. Do not persist in your rebellion, as many did in Christ's day. You see, those who persist in the doubt will not, will not believe because they will not repent. Secondly, those who persist in doubt want control. They want control. Verse 31, Jesus says, To what shall I compare the people of this generation and, and what are they like? Right, so, what, what should the people that won't come to me, the people that persist in their rebellion, the, that persist in their unbelief, what are they like? How should I compare them? Verse thirty-two is his answer. They are like children uh, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. In those days, when your your mom or dad would take the kids to the market, they would go in and, and to the stalls and whatnot, and the kids would get together and they would they would play games. And they would play games just like kids today play games. They would play make-believe. And they would take kind of the prominent events in their lives and they would recreate those. And so one of the prominent events in the life of a a little uh, villager 2,000 years ago in Israel was weddings. The whole whole village would participate in a week-long celebration of the wedding. The other main event was funerals. Again, the whole village would participate in in a, a funeral, and so they get, would get together and they would play wedding. And they would you the groom and you're the bride, and and someone get the flute, and we'll we'll all dance and we'll celebrate. Or they would play funeral, and they all wail and and cry and throw dirt upon themselves. And 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 these are the games they would play. You know, your uh, kids play make my kids uh, play make believe all the time. In fact, they don't play this game as much as they used to. But one of my favorite games my kids used to play was uh, pregnant. And, and uh, they, they, would take a, they would take a baby under and put it under their shirt. And they would walk around holding their back and do one of these things. And then they would run to the bathroom and pretend to vomit. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a great deal of fun. It was my, definitely my favorite game. It was a wonderful game. My kids like to play these, these make-believe games. But the problem is, is that sometimes kids don't want to play with each other very well. Which I think was what Jesus drawing out, isn't he? Because some people want to play weddings. Um, but others won't dance some people want to play funerals but but others won't mourn they're like spoiled children they're like children who think the world revolves around them play the game i like right one kid say okay we got the flute and you be the bride and you be the groom and the other kids say no that's a dumb game i don't want to play that game and other kids say, okay, well, well, let's all get in a procession. We'll all wail and mourn and pretend someone died. And other kids say, no, I don't want to play that game. That's a, that's a dumb game. And, and Jesus said, let me tell you what the people who will not come to me are like. They're like spoiled little children throwing a fit. That's what they're like. John, you need to lighten up. You need to play wedding. Jesus, you need to sober up. You need to, you need to play funeral. And they throw their tantrums. Because neither John or Jesus will do it their way, which is kind of normal for a two-year-old, but it's sad when you're 50 and you want this control. And Jesus is saying, you're like spoiled children who think the world revolves around you. Right? It's never a compliment for a grown man to say to other grown men, you know what you're like? You're like a four-year-old. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Of course, the problem is not with John, is it? The problem isn't also with Jesus. It has nothing to do with the type of ministry they're embracing. The problem is is that they're not doing it their way, right? Because if you change the tune, they still won't play along. They throw their tantrums because they want control. They want to be in charge. They want God to do what they want. They want to live the life that they want, and God is supposed to come and just uh, affirm what they're doing and bless their dreams and bless their plans. They They want a religion that's solely about coming and blessing them where they remain in control of their lives this is what child children sometimes are i don't know if as a parent you've experienced this when you're uh, perhaps going to throw a party for one of your children and, and you're getting ready all week long and they're talking about it and some kind of theme to the party and and they're decorating the house inviting their friends and, and sometimes during the party the, the kid gets upset and runs to the room and closes the door and 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 you go up there and say you know honey what, what's the matter all your friends are downstairs and And they'll say, "I don't want a party. It's a a dumb party." And this time, you kind of you're fighting your own sin, aren't you? And you're kind of gathering yourself. And you say, "Honey, how is it that you are so strongly denying what we both know you so desperately want?" Of course, that never works with them. Um, But what they're doing—it's not the party that they don't want. It's just not going their way. They've lost control. They're not doing what they want. And so they're throwing a fit. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop with children. We still want to be in charge. And people refuse to believe in the Lord because they're not looking for a Lord. They're looking for a blesser, not a king. They're looking for a sugar daddy, not a Lord. They want a service provider. You... You should know, friends, if you were to come to Christ, you have to give up control of your life. Perhaps you're here this morning. You're not a Christian. When one becomes a Christian, it's not simply an agreement with facts. It's not signing a card, certainly. It is declaring that you no longer rule your life. God does. And he gets every part of you. You surrender it all to him. And these people certainly won't do that. I don't like this tune. Well, how about this one? No, I don't like that one other. The problem's not that with the tune. The problem is with the heart. The problem is that they want to be in charge. They want to be in control. This we even can see through modern history. In the 1920s, there was a man named Aldous Huxley, who was a, a brilliant man. And he was part of a group called the Bloomsbury Set. They were a group of British intellectuals, scientists and philosophers and artists and professors. And they gathered together in the 20s for the sole reason to eradicate religion. And their conclusion was that religion is just based upon emotion. There's no reason in it. There's no rationality in it. And reason is the way of the future. right? Science is going to solve all of our problems. But, of course, science didn't solve all the problems. In fact, Aldous Huxley lived through some very terrible times, and science contributed to a great deal of it. And by the end of his life, he had totally changed. He hated reason. Reason has let us down. Science has ruined everything. He rejected it. So did he run to Christianity? No, he hated Christianity all the more. And the reason why is he said Christianity is too rational. He started his life hating Christianity because it was too emotional. Ended his life hating Christianity because it was too irrational. Or or too rational, excuse me, too reasoned out. In fact, he died on an LSD trip. He had a complete, total change in orientation. And yet, his rejection of Christianity remained. And all the while, he's thinking he's sophisticated, along with many other people. And the reality is, they're just immature and childish. The trouble's not the tune. The trouble's not my tune. I want you to play my tune. I want God to dance to my song. And if he does it, then there's something wrong with it. In fact, this is why people make up their own religions. I believe. I mean, you constantly made up religions all over this world, whether it's Islam or Hinduism or, or Buddhism, and they all say, you know, simply the, at the core the same thing. The same. The message is: here, here's some advice on how to live. Here's some things you need to do. And they go do it, and they hope it's enough. And, of course, the things they have to do changes, but here it is. Do these things, and and you live a life of anxiety, and you never feel intimate and close with God at all, and you just hope at the end that you have done enough. This is the religion they make up, and it makes you wonder, why in the world would they make up that kind of religion? Well, if you embrace Christianity, which is, of course, we're saved entirely by grace because we're a sinner, there's absolutely nothing that we contribute to our salvation. Well then, God has complete control of your life. God controls everything. But if you contribute to your salvation, right? If if you offer something, I believe this, I do this, therefore God must favor me. Then you maintain control, right? You're a you're a spiritual taxpayer. You, God owes you. God owes you some things, and this is what they want to create. They want to be in control. Beware of that desire. It's something in our hearts that doesn't want to let go. But if you were to come to Christ, you have to let go of everything. In fact, I wonder, are you letting go, my Christian brothers, of everything? Even when we come to Christ, we still have a tendency to demand our own way. We still have a tendency to think Christianity exists to satisfy all our needs, or maybe, maybe the church exists to satisfy my needs. I think we should be warned in some way that the people who are rejecting Christ are the very people who have been to church their whole lives. They have followed after God and yet there is no love in their hearts, there's no passion, just a childlike self focus. Please me, they say. And many people come into church with that same attitude. I want it to be what I want it to be. I want the songs to be what I want. I I I, I want worship songs or I want hymns. A sermon's too serious, the sermon's irreverent, right? He's, he's wearing a tie, he's not wearing a tie, right? Whatever it is. You you have it has to go always finding fault. Refusing to go along. There are people, I'm just not going to sing the song because I don't like it. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to participate because it's not suiting my preferences. I tell you with kindness in my heart, that's immature and childish. You have to give up control to follow Christ. Stop demanding your own tune and follow Jesus. They refuse Him because they will not give up their self-reign, their preferences. Lastly, and I think similarly... The persistent doubters are critical. Critical. Verse 33. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. All right? So John, again, live in the desert, comes out and yells at people, and then he goes back into the desert. He's very intense man. He does not go to parties. Right? <laughs> He does not drink their wine. He does not eat their bread. In fact, all his sermons, every one is, you have sinned, repent, or God is going to judge you. Right? Repent and judgment. There's two tracks to that album. And it's just over and over again. Repent and judgment. Repent and judgment. And people come to this guy and say, who is this guy? I mean, this guy is weird. And we're we calling us all sinners? He doesn't even know us. Right? And he certainly... He won't He won't do the things we're doing. He's not eating our bread or drinking our wine. He's munching on bugs out there in the wilderness. Right? He has a demon. He has lost it. In other words, John won't play weddings. All he plays is funerals. It's too gloomy, they say. Our religion is happy. Our religion is undemanding. Play the flute, John. Well, Jesus comes along. Verse 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, Jesus is the total opposite. He's feasting. There's not a party that Jesus doesn't go to. Right? And he goes there and he eats their food and drinks their wine. And quite often the parties he's going to are parties with sinners and tax collectors. And when he has an opportunity to talk, he talks about love. And he talks about forgiveness And he talks about grace. And people look at him and say, who is this guy? Oh, he is spending time with sinners. In fact, he's just like them. He's a drunk. He's a glutton. In other words, Jesus doesn't play funerals. At least not at this time in his ministry. He will. All all he's doing is weddings. It's too joyful. Our religion is more sober. It's more proper. right? Play the dirge. They, they, don't, they don't like John because he won't eat and drink. They don't like Jesus because all he does is eat and drink. They don't like the weather because it's too hot and too cold. Right? They're they full of criticism in their heart. And the reality is people will always find fault with the gospel. You've encountered people like this, right? And they have this question and you answer it. And they well, what about this? And you answer that, well, what about this? And there's always something wrong with it. And no matter what you do, you can't please them. And this is what Jesus is is addressing right here. Christianity is too condemning. Oh, it's too forgiving. It's too sober. Oh, it's too emotional. It's too intellectual. It's too simple. Right? It's always something. In fact, the biggest obstacle to Christianity is the gospel itself, I think. Because when we when we proclaim the gospel, we have to tell them very difficult news that you are evil. And I know the world has told you from birth that you are inherently good and 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 you, there's a diamond under that coal and we just have to let it out. And the Bible says, no, that's not the case at all. You're a rebel. You've rebelled against your maker. You're living for yourself. It's not to say you're necessarily wicked. You can live a good life, but you're living in total disregard for the one who has made you, has called you to worship him and surrender everything to him. And people hear this and they say that, that we're evil and we can't earn our way to heaven. They say, really? I mean, that's ridiculous. Get with the times, Pastor. We don't believe those things anymore. And then you come along and tell them the good news and say, wait a second, but you need to understand there's a Savior who loves you. And he has done everything that you that needs to be done in order for you to have eternal life with him. He has invited you to that place and all you have to do is, is bow your knee to him in faith, repent of your sins and come to him. And they say, okay, wait a second, let me get this right. If a man who lives a despicable life and he's a murderer and, and all that, and at the end of his life, right before he dies, he says, Jesus, I, I believe in you, save me. And, and he goes to heaven and I live a decent life, a good life. And I never happen to put my faith in Jesus and I die and I go to hell. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. It's exactly what I'm telling you. And they will say, that is ridiculous. That's too easy. Right? Is it too hard? Or is it too easy? There's always something wrong with it. And Jesus is aware of it. And Jesus wants to point this out to them. You can't be pleased. Your heart is full of criticism. And these people will, of course, come on us, won't they? It's just they're not criticizing the gospel, just not criticizing, uh, uh, Jesus. They will, they will criticize those who follow Jesus. Right? Of course, they're trying to get John and Jesus to fo- follow their song. Right, John, co- you should come out and go to a party. He ignores it. You should eat our bread. He ignores it. Jesus, you need to stop eating with tax collectors and sinners. We see this all the time. He's constantly angering the Pharisees. He's not following their tradition. They're trying to get them to follow their tune. This is what the world will do to you. The world's going to try. It already is. It's going to try to get you to agree with them. You have to dance to our song. If you're a teenager, you know this, don't you? You have to listen to this kind of music and dress this way and, and act like this. This is what what we think is acceptable. This is what you do when you want friends. This is the, the cool way to live. And and it doesn't stop there, of course. It doesn't stop as a teen. It, start, it continues throughout life. You need to agree in this about abortion or this about human evolution or this about transgender transitions or this about the new emergent sexual morality. And you need to think the way we think and you need to celebrate what we celebrate and you need to call all of this gifts from God. And if you don't, if you mourn, with what we're celebrating we will reject you and so therefore my brothers and sisters in Christ you have to decide whose song you're going to dance to you know the Bible in the book of James says you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God who do you want to please please who are you going to follow? That's a question you have to ask, answer every day. In fact, at the end, there's only going to be one song. Song. I think we're going to sing it in a moment. How the heavenly anthem drowns all music, but it's... One day there will be only one song. Song. song in adoration to our God who has come to save us. Well, Jesus concludes his teaching with a proverb that has challenged many people verse 35 yet wisdom is justified by all her children he almost seems to be asking what kind of child are you he he addressed those who persist in their unbelief their unreasonable doubt of him and he has said you you guys are unrepentant and critical and all you want is control and now he comes and addresses another group of children wisdom's children who are childlike but not childish. And he says wisdom is justified or, again, proved right by her children. That is, those who embrace, of course, John when he came, but Jesus, who have surrendered their life to him, will be wisdom's children. And they will live according to the way that Christ has called us to live, live according to the wise way. They will live according to God's song. And, and they are what the wise children understand their sin and that they can't sit on their sin and they need to repent from it. And then therefore their life becomes full and wonderful and deep and full of meaning and joy and purpose. And wisdom is proved right as we look at their lives. She's proved right as she pours out abundance upon those who follow Christ as we dance to his tune. When I'm thinking about it as we end our time this morning. You, you think about the cross in this context of this, this types of music and It seems very much to me that the cross is, in in many ways, a dirge, isn't it? The cross is very mournful. The cross has a great accusation against us. I don't think there's any more sober religion than Christianity. I mean, read Romans 3. No one is righteous, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's a dirge. That's a damning accusation about us. We are sinners, lost without God, and no amount of work can save us. The cross is a dirge, but there is no greater celebration than the cross. It's a dance as well, isn't it? No religion is more joyful than Christianity as it offers out this hope to you that, that you can live forever in an unbroken world when everything that is messed up is undone and restored and redeemed and everything physical and emotional and relational and spiritual is, is, is fixed by the Maker Himself. That you can live in a world eternal, forgiven of your sins, overcome by the grace and love of God. You can run and never grow weary. You see, only the cross shows us, as we say often here, that we are so wicked that we never imagined. The cross shows us that. But at the same time, only the cross shows us we are more loved than we ever dared hope. Do you know Christ through His cross? Jesus has come and he has died and he has risen again and he invites all who would come to him to receive salvation, forgiveness of sins, mercy and grace. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You simply have to come to Christ. Will you not do so even now? Our Father, we thank you for this time to consider your word. I find it in many ways convicting in my heart. There remains childishness in me. And in light of that, and perhaps conviction upon my brothers and sisters, we are even more grateful today because of mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you for your patience with us. Help us to surrender even more of our lives to you. Help us to lay aside even more of our preferences for you. That we might find our joy and delight in knowing you and following you. And we, your children here this morning, pray for our friend here. That has yet to come to you. We ask in your kindness to them, you would work in their heart in a powerful way that they would not persist in their rejection of you, persist in their unbelief. we are more than happy to answer questions and we are more than happy to explore objections. But God, there comes a time when they must decide whether they will come or not. Perhaps there's one here this morning or even more, Father, that you would work in their lives in a powerful way, causing them to be born again, that they might bow their knee to King Jesus in faith and trust. Will you not do that for their eternal gain and for your great glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.